So welcome to the Open Source Startup Podcast. I am Amanda Robson from Cowboy, better known as Robbie, and my co-host Tim Chen and I are very excited to welcome our guest today, co-founder and CEO of Rudderstack, the open source customer data platform, aka open source version of Segment or MParticle. We're really, really excited to have Sumyadeb Mitra here with us today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Amanda and Tim for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to you guys. Awesome. So why don't we start with what is Rudderstack? Yeah, so Rudderstack, we are kind of a product in this broader space called customer data platform. So and a CDP is like an overloaded term. A lot of companies are trying to position themselves as a CDP. But at a fundamental level, a CDP is a tool which lets companies primarily B2C companies, but also like B2B companies, collect data about their own customers. So let's say if you're a consumer company and you have a mobile app and a website, you would want to collect all the data about your own customers, like all the products they are searching and the pages they are clicking and the products they're adding to card and the checkouts they are doing, right? You want to collect all this data. And the reason you want to collect this data is for like multiple reasons, right? One is like you typically want to send it to some downstream tools for like doing analytics. So you want to send it to like Amplitude or Mixpanel to do product analytics. You want to send it to some tool like Braze or, or Salesforce to do marketing. And then once you have a data team, you want to collect all this data and dump into a data warehouse to do more advanced analytics. You want to build out like ML models and then so on. Right? So, so that's kind of the reason you want to collect all this data. And what a CDP enables you to do is to like collect the data Instead of you having to go and build all these integrations, you can use a tool like Rudderstack or pretty much a lot of other CDPs to collect the data, act on the data, and then like activate that data. So that's kind of a very, very high level overview. I mean, I can go on and on, but I'll kind of stop there. It's a very valuable problem. I'm sure like we've seen the market have definitely exploded, right? Especially this sort of customer data platforms. I guess, tell us about like, how did you start with the idea that I should start an open source version of this? You know, this is probably the biggest difference that I remember Rudderstack was came out. It's like, we're open source, we're enterprise. Yeah, tell us what got you to start this and why open source in the first place? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think it kind of goes back to my experience of using a CDP as like a data scientist, data engineer. If you look at most traditional CDPs, they were pitching to the marketing persona, right? So that story to the marketing team was use our tool, collect all the data about your customers, and then we'll give you like nice uh, UI so that you can come in and create audiences and activate those audiences and so on. So they're primarily selling to the marketing teams in, in, in larger organizations. My exposure to a CDP was both in my previous company, but also like I sold a startup a company called 8 by 8 So I was coming into this from a very data science, data engineering perspective, right? I mean, the use cases of customer data is not just marketing. Like you want to collect the data, you want to like do more advanced analytics that maybe product cares about. You want to do churn prediction, which like your support team cares about, right? So looking at this from a data angle and then collecting all the data, building out these data science models. So that, that was kind of like my exposure to CDP. And it kind of felt that all the existing CDPs are kind of catering to the marketing persona. The use cases, the platform was not really built for the data persona. So that was the key reason for starting Rudderstack. The follow-up question to that is like, how do you build a company for the data teams of the world, right? I mean, and it is kind of like, it has been interesting learning since then, but like at, at least when we started Rudderstack, the hypothesis was that the only way you can sell to engineers, specifically data engineers, is going with the open source story, right? I mean, like if you look at all 
recent companies which have done well in the data ecosystem, right? Whether you are looking at streaming systems like Kafka or like databases like Mongo and Cockroach, like they have all taken a very open source approach. So it was kind of like a no-brainer for us when we started that if you are selling to the data teams, you have to go open source. And and, and like and, and that was kind of the reason we positioned ourselves as like an open source CDP. It, it doesn't matter if you are selling to marketing, marketing doesn't care if it is open source. They rather hate that product is open source. But like for data, it was kind of like a no-brainer when we started. I'd love to double-click on that and get your perspective on why data practitioners care so much about tools being open source and the benefit or the trust that they're able to form with vendors. Because it's we talk to a lot of companies that will have an open source underlying kind of basis or component, and there are different reasons and value that they actually get from the open source. So in your view, why do data practitioners value open source so much? We think about this quite a bit. And like before I answer this question, I'll, I'll give you a quick experience of like our experience with Rudderstack's open source project. Right. So unlike other open source projects, like we started a company before any line of code was written. We raised money and then open source was more of like, okay, you need to do open source to, to go to data practitioners. Right. So that was the hypothesis. And we also launched a cloud product because that's what was the monetization story. We thought like we'll have the open source and we'll have a cloud product. At least when, I, when we started, I, I strongly believe that the open source will really be the biggest driver of adoption. And then like some people will switch from open source to cloud because they do not want to manage the infrastructure. Right? Over the last couple of years, we have had like a uh, interesting experience where like we have customers who are using the open source product. We also have a lot of customers using the cloud product. And they appreciate the fact that the code is open source. I mean, it's almost like as an engineer, you have this like hidden bias towards open source software. Right? I mean, if I've given two options, a completely SaaS and another SaaS where the core engine is open source, I'll like always pick up the open source version. Like, because I mean, we have been trained, we have always used open source software. We have kind of like loved, fallen in love with open source. Like, there are like maybe hidden reasons for that. I mean, there's no like strong quantified reason, but at the same time, I do not want to manage infrastructure. Right? So I think we have a lot of customers who, love us for our open source product, but then they start with the cloud product. They don't deploy the open source. It's just painful to deploy. Like it's not, I mean, running infrastructure is hard and like ours is a real-time infrastructure right? that cannot go down. So like that is painful. So so there are some people who really care about not sending data outside and I, I, I cannot, like I, I cannot use a cloud service. Like either because I believe in that or because my company requires me to do that. So their open source makes a lot of sense. But for other people, I think it is mostly like soft reasons, like how people, at least the generation of software engineers are trained and, and so on. So I don't know if that answers your question, but like, I mean, I, I do not know like why, why people have this liking for open source. Yeah, it does. And I'm curious if it's been a progression of early on, most folks wanted to use an open source version of Segment or choose your CDP platform because their organizations just fully wouldn't let them use a SaaS and so like more regulated industries. And then over time, the data practitioner angle kind of like naturally unfolded. Or if it's kind of the entire time you've had data practitioners that from the get-go were such big proponents of having an open source version of a CDP. Yeah, I think, again, like when we look at our adoption, right, I mean, we have customers or like users who are using our cloud product from day zero, like they never tried the open source version. And they had the option of going with Segment and us, and like and 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 they, they chose us primarily because our core back like we are also an open source. Although they never used open source, I think it's more of partly psychological that like okay, I'm I'm, I'm not vendor locked. I mean, I can switch back to the open source. Like that could be one reason. The other reason could be just like that we engineers love open source. Right? I mean, like if we had 
are making the decision and then i'll go with the solution a cloud solution which is backed by an open source project right so i think again uh, it's like probably biases and, and so on and then as i said like we definitely have customers the other big thing is like other open source companies grafana influx db like that the all these open source companies they use radastack because like again they they believe like they're open source companies they want to promote other open source companies matter most and, and so on so like again that is the other reason like i think that that has kind of worked in in, in favor of us so i love to kind of go down to like uh, maybe a little bit of comparison because Mm-hmm. I think traditionally, when we look at all the existing players in this space, you know, the segment and particle, developers are involved, but they're not really involved after we set it up. You know, like yeah. it's SDKs, push the data in. Yeah. You know, I just doing the necessary to just getting it set up. Yeah. But now having an open source version, do you have engineers or technical people actually more involved with yeah. the product now because it's open source? Or do you actually even build products? that engineers and developers actually can use or leverage? I think uh, there are two parts to it. Like people, somebody who is running the open source version, they have to like manage the infrastructure, right? I mean, like we are pretty easy to set up and, and manage and like it's stable. I mean, I believe it's pretty stable, but like you still have to like set up a Kubernetes cluster and and, and manage that and, and so on. Maybe that's what people get some people excited. Like I'm, I'm kind of managing this cool thing. So so that, that there is that level of involvement, like DevOps and, and, and engineers in smaller teams who are like running the infrastructure. Right? The other level of involvement is around use cases on top of the data that we are collecting through Radastack. And there, I think it has less to do with open source and more to do with like the persona we are selling to. Like Segment and a lot of the other CDPs started with the core thing that, okay, yeah, we are just a data pipe and we'll send the data to different destinations and that's about it. Like That is the core value prop. That's where our product is right now. But then we are also pushing this warehouse first architecture, right? Like the whole idea that your CDP should not be like a SaaS solution, but like should be your customer data should be centralized around a data warehouse. You should use something like Rudderstack to collect the data into the warehouse and build interesting applications on top of that data, whether it's like analytics, whether it's like ML models and, and so on for like uh, things I talked about, like lead scoring and recommendation and like churn and so on. And we build these applications and then take the output and activate it back to Rudderstack. Like you, you, a recommendation, you want to send it to some emailing system. So that is the architecture we are seeing getting deployed across our customers. Right? It's, it's not just like sending to different destinations, but like building these applications on top of the warehouse. Right? And that's where our buyer persona is very involved. Like we work with them to help build out some new applications. We wrote some case studies and, 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 and some how-tos. We have open-sourced. Jupyter notebooks around how to build these models. So yeah, there is a big involvement there. But then the code pipe need not be open source of that. Like it's more about what happens after the data lands. Do you have maybe an example? Because I think this is really interesting. We haven't seen anybody build models and notebooks and applications on top of you know like segment data, for example. What would be a good example for you to have at data application built on a CDP? And why is this like the best place to build apps on top rather than most people put it into like a central data lake and how to do all the infrastructure there. Is there any trade-offs here at all? Or I mean, it's, it's the same thing. In fact, like the problems we are solving is like, if you look at traditional B2C companies, they build this entire infrastructure from scratch to your point. Like they will build the SDKs, they will collect all the data into some kind of a data lake and then they build their own applications on top, right? So that, that's kind of the traditional architecture. And in, in parallel, they will run segments to collect the same data and, and send to all the different destinations, right? So there is no reason to 
run these two parallel infrastructure to collect customer data. So they get consolidated with Rudderstack, right? So we are kind of collecting this single point to collect all the data, send it to all the different destinations you want, your different teams want, but also like dump the data into your data lake or your data warehouse for these more advanced applications, right? So fundamentally, the architecture is not different from what you're talking about. Like the only thing is like Rudderstack now takes care of your data ingest and so on. The second step of that is like, it's not just about ingesting the data into the warehouse and dumping these raw events. Like I think what the first step after ingesting the data is to create this like user store. We call it user feature store. People do this from scratch. Like they write like Python and Spark jobs or like DBT jobs to create those feature stores. And that, that's what we are kind of productizing. As, a, as It's not launched yet, but that's what we'll, we're going to launch very soon. Right? How do you create this feature store? So we're doing a bunch of things around that part of the pipeline, right? It's not just about ingesting the data. So that is what I'm excited about. And then so, on. so I want to talk a bit about positioning. And one of the interesting things I think about this space is Segment actually started open source and then became in some ways less focused on open source. And at least early on, we're kind of positioned as the open source alternative to Segment. And so when you initially started, how did you think about us positioning versus Segment and what's maybe different now versus when they started and they were more focused on open source and kind of moved away from that? Like, did things change in our space as far as just data practitioners wanting to be involved with CDPs or what was kind of different about timing now versus when they started? Yeah, so segments, only analytics.js was open source, right? So it was only the first version of segment was like this, this script, which was pretty much everything on the browser, right? You call one track event and that fans out to all the other track calls of all the destinations, right? That was what was open source. The next product they built was about like, okay, now getting the data to some backend system and then and, and piping the data to different destinations through APIs, not from the browser and like dumping the data into a warehouse. That stack was never open source. And I think like for them, analytics.js was what got them popularity with the developers and that backend system was, was their way to monetize like the, their application, right? So I think, and at that point, like, like when segments started 2013, 14, like warehouses were not big, right? So people were not using segment to dump data into a warehouse. In fact, like they did not have warehouse connection when they started monetizing. It came only much later, I think like 16, 17. That was the path they took, right? The, the path we are taking is like, and then just to add to the previous one, like the segments, like that use case was purely an integration use case, right? I don't want to build 20 integrations. I just want to like build one integration. So it's sold to the engineers and the product managers. And over time, they added the personas product, which was more of like a marketing use case. So integration use case followed by marketing use case. What's the path segment took, right? The path we are taking is like saying that your customer data should be in a warehouse. You should be building all these interesting applications. We will build out some of those. Otherwise, you will build some more and, and so on. So, so that's the path we are taking. And we are like very much going after the data practitioners. And, and some of the reasons I kind of believe will succeed is Primarily because like warehouses are exploding. Like four years back, there was no data warehouse. It was very painful to collect data and process data. Now it is so much easier to like spin up a snowflake or Redshift or whatever, or BigQuery, right? That is exploding. Like people are investing in data. Uh, like they're hiring these chief data officers and, and data engineers and so on. So I think those are the premise on which like we are building data stack. So even though the products look very similar today, I think like longer term, like we look very different in terms of like where we will go and then the features we will add and so on. I did not answer your specific question around why open source made sense for them. For them, again, open source was to get to developers. Like, and, and I guess the same thing is true for us, but it's a different kind of developer also, right? I mean, there was more of like a front-end application developer who is just wants to call one track event. For us, it is more of 
data engineers who are looking to collect the data and build interesting applications. Let's talk maybe about the open source side. Because typically when we have open source project, we have the community. The community can contribute code, they can you know, submit PRs, they can open issues. And how does the open source side of your project works with your product? Is everything open source? Will everybody contribute everywhere? Or how does that work right now? At a very high level, we have this control plane and the data plane. Right? So control plane is the rich UI through which you can manage Rudder stack, set up sources, destinations, look at live events. And then we have the data plane through which the data flows. And we kind of made this separation because we wanted the customer data to always be in customer's control. Like if the data plane, people can run the open source version, people can run inside the VPC, there is a commercial version which has some more features and so on. So that's like the fundamental architecture difference. Let's start with the data plane. So the data plane is open source, like the core data plane is open source, all the integrations are open source, in just like, like 80% of the code is open source. What is not open source is the high availability feature, right? So if you want to do scale out, right, and achieve high availability, like your ton of event volume and, and so on. So that feature is not open source. So that's what you have to go to the paid version. On the control plane, similarly, we have the rich control plane, which is not open source, like which has all the features. And then we have something called a control plane light, a lighter version of control plane, which is open source. So like anyone can almost get like 80% of the Rudder stack functionality with open source on the data plane, except unless you are like at a very high volume. So do people actually try the open source project first? Is that sort of the typical path you want users to go for? Or people actually want to use their cloud once they like it, now they can choose they want to use open source or not. Like what was yeah. the typical journey here? So I think we have both the paths and this is something we should like clean up, right? But I would say like almost three-fourths of the folks start with the cloud version. They start with the cloud version and like we have a very generous free tier. So like most people go live and just on the cloud version. Some people start with the open source version. Like again, one-fourth people start with open source and they continue with the open source version. So I don't think like a lot of people move from open source to cloud or cloud to open source. Like they kind of like almost choose the path and then kind of go down the path they are in. So that's what is my guess. But again, like there are one-offs which, which go back and forth. So I wanted to ask a bit about community and how you actually built awareness within the data community around owning the CDP, because that is kind of a new concept. So early on, you're almost trying to educate them on what's possible and their involvement in something that typically has been more on the go-to-market side. How did you go about doing that? Honestly, I don't think like we have done a very good job of that. Like I think some of it happened organically, like we got on Hacker News, people found us and, and, and so on. And Almost because of our positioning on the website, the content we have been writing, like we are the people who are coming to Rudderstack are almost like self-selected. Like they are the data people, and they are they are kind of trying to build these use cases and so on. So I think like that automatically got us the right persona of people, right? So so that but that was all inbound based on some content we wrote and then some launches on Hacker News and and so on. Now specifically like now we have started to do some more proactive things like go to conferences and talk about the use cases so there are two ways to build the community like one is like you build the community on the core open source project you say that like try data stack like this is open source version and so on the other way to build a community is around use cases of data right i mean okay this is a cool way to this is how you should be doing attribution this is how you should be doing lead scoring and so on so we are almost like tending towards the latter, right? I mean, I, I want to create a community around use cases of data. And like we'll open source a bunch of things there as well. Right? We, we open sourced our attribution models and we'll open source a bunch of the other models we can run. But that's what I'm more excited about. Like Because data pipeline is something, it's almost like a 
necessary evil like nobody really wakes up to like build another integration you have to kind of use do what is exciting is are those use cases got it so maybe it's fair to say that rudderstack to open source is really about to gain trust for customers and not really trying to build like the biggest developer contributor base i want to make somebody committers right the whole sort of like typical open source developer community right is really about like hey i can see the code i can trust this I can maybe even do some customizations or build on top, but it's not meant to be contributed back. And so we have this really big community-driven yeah. project, right? It's actually more about trust. Is that fair, to say that? Or? That's a very, very fair statement. In fact, like a lot of open source projects almost start as a project. Like there's no company behind it. Like the community comes together, builds something, and they have the ownership of that. And then like eventually it kind of becomes a company. Right? We took a very, very different path. Right? We kind of like started out to build a company, not to like just build an open source project, right? So, but then having said that, a community has, it is almost like you give something to the community, community gives something to you. And like, we are very thankful to the community to have committed like integrations, SDKs, like somebody wrote a Flutter SDK. We often get like pull requests into our SDKs, which are easier to fix. The core backend, I think we get a lot less contributions because it's like complex. You have to understand the, the, the semantics and, and so on. And I'm talking to other projects, it's kind of the same, right? I was talking to Nginx, it's a very same thing, right? I mean, at the core layer, they're like very, very little contribution. It's mostly at the plugin layer and, and, and so on. And I think the same thing is happening for us as well. And what we give up, like our contribution to the community is like, we, we are kind of supporting people to like run Rudderstack. I mean, we have a Slack community. I think we are pretty proactive there to help people run. And who on the Rudderstack team is actually responsible for managing open source? Is it, do you have two kind of separate teams and two kind of sets of initiatives and just like things that they're driving towards as far as success metrics, or is it all all under one team? So it is all under engineering. So there are two parts of like that, right? One is like the code that is being developed. So that we have a clear, I mean, it's the same team. We know that these features go to open source and these features not. Right? All integrations go to open source. The code backend, all enhancements go to open source unless they are the high availability feature and so on. So, so that's how we kind of do it on the engineering side. And in terms of like supporting the community, like all the engineers are involved. Mostly our core engineering is involved, but also like our support engineers are involved, like supporting the community and so on. So like, it's not like two separate teams. At some point, we, we do not have like a community manager or, or a dev rel to what you typically call someone. I mean, that's a very active role we are kind of, we've been trying to have. It's a very hard role to have for. Yeah, it definitely is. Because you need someone who's technical enough to understand all personas involved, but then they also have this kind of go-to-market service-oriented nature, really good in content. So it's definitely tough to hire for. How do you think about what you will support and what you won't support as far as the open source community? Because one of the biggest challenges with managing any kind of open source community is you then become the catch-all for any kind of free usage and for folks who might not be customers. So it's harder to kind of know what to prioritize and what not to. So how do you think about just supporting the open source community in general? And like what to put effort towards versus what to focus on more as far as paid customers. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had a good, clean answer to that. I think, I mean, I, I like so far our strategy is like we, we do want to make everyone successful, whether you're on the open source project or on the cloud product. And I think like we have definitely invested uh, like engineering hours and on like, I mean, you can join our Slack and see like we have really invested time and effort into supporting our open source community. Fundamentally, I believe that like whether they are paying or not, like, they are contributing in other ways, right? I mean, they've spread the word that this product works and, and so on. So like, there is definitely, if not tangible, intangible benefit of like having a community of users using your product. So yeah, we'll continue supporting that as long as we can. Diving deeper into that question, because obviously I feel like 
anytime you have an open source project and a company, you always have trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can talk a little bit more about the trade-offs of, yeah, you know, I mean, what if everything is not open source, right? And one day we just close source it, will it impact the business or not? Like, what are the trade-offs right now running an open source-based company while your code base, even though it's open source, you're not really gaining much benefits of developers, but are also letting people able to just view the code? That's a great question. In fact, this is something I think about quite a bit. Like, how do you even like measure that trade-off? The, the trade-offs are simple, right? I mean, like, for example, my, my sales team, they are clearly not in love with open source. The biggest, I mean, we, we kind of looked at this pie chart of like, what are the, of all the things we are losing deals to, what is the biggest one? What is the next one? So the biggest one is like, we lose deals to our open source project. Like people said, like they, they came to the sales thing and they said, no, I will use open source. So that is, in fact, like, almost three times the nearest one. Like we don't lose to competitors. We don't lose to like other reasons. Like that is the reason we are losing deals too, right? It's not lost in my mind. I mean, they're still using Rudderstack. I'm excited about that. Like hopefully they'll come back to the paid offering. Or if not, they're still spreading the word about Rudderstack. So, but clearly sales is losing deals to something which we should have contributed to revenue, right? So that's kind of one downside of open source. The other thing is like the confusion, right? I mean, like every time, like every feature we have this to, we have to kind of think through, right? Does this go to open source? And like it, it creates organizational confusion, right? I mean, you have to like, sales is not shared. They're pushing back on something and I have to like kind of get involved and, and so on. So like these are the downsides for sure. The plus side, which is very hard to measure is like, I truly believe that if you are to build like a long lasting company for developers, right? Open source is a very, very strong level, right? Like, I mean, it's not quantifiable, but like this, the, the love as I was talking about, like, I mean, developers... If there were two competing products, one was SaaS closed source and SaaS open source, I'll always go with the open source. Like, how do you quantify that? Right? I mean, I, I don't know how to like really measure it in some sense. Right? So that's my kind of strong bias, right? And, and that's why we are kind of pushing and we'll keep pushing on open source. The other thing is like, yes, I mean, uh, the other benefits you talked about, right? Like we are some large enterprise deals, customers, they, they really, open source is like their corporate level strategy, right? I mean, we will only focus on prioritize open source like governments or even like larger corporations, like some banks we are working with, like they give a very high weight to open source projects because of all this. They don't want vendor locking. So, but that is still quantifiable. We can look at how many deals we won because of open source. But the other part, the soft aspect of open source is very hard to quantify. So it's almost like you have to take a gut thing and kind of go with it. But it does, like there is this trade-off. I want to double click on this comment you made around deciding whether or not a new feature is going to be open source or not. Is there a framework that your team has to kind of say, okay, if answers to these three questions are true, then it's going to be paid versus open source or vice versa, just to kind of give your team clarity so you can kind of go back to a set of principles and say, here's what we open source and here's what we don't. Yeah. So one mental model we have is like, if you are like a small startup, if you're like using our free tier of the product, you're under like you're tracking less than pick some number, like 20, 30 million events a month. And then the set of features you need to be able to do that that is kind of in the open source bucket, right? So that, that's kind of very high level mental model. So for, for a small startup, you probably do not need tracking plans. You do not need like high availability and multi-node support and like transformations and like all those things. So all that is open source. So integrations is something, but you need integrations into all these different tools. So like, so everything around that is open source. If you are like beyond that, like now you're in a mid-market company, you have like event volume scale and you have multiple teams involved in buying the product and making a decision. So that's where you like you have to pay for the commercial offering. That's kind of a very high model, high level way we kind of think about it. And but we still have to decide it. I mean, this is still not concrete enough to say like this feature is open source or not. I mean, we, we kind of do it at a point 
on Bitcoin basis. And so maybe talk, you know, since you're really targeting a wider audience, in my opinion, because Rudder Stack, given the nature is open source, the data is actually stored in a customer's environment, right? And you yeah. know, I saw that you have an open source notebook where people can actually just write data science code directly on top of your data, yeah. right? That is a very interesting difference now where you're touching more surface points by probably any CDP out there. Yeah. Do you see yourself going down multiple directions? Like here's our data science developer roadmap and within our data assets plus all the use cases, or I guess how far do you want to go on different spectrums here? Like developer and data versus all the marketing and, and product use cases, right? Because you, you have a plenty to do. <laughs> I'm just wondering how do you actually figure out what is the right depth to go into each bucket? Yeah, that's again something like this is a constant discussion, I guess, like in the company, right? I mean, like even at the integration layer, we are kind of fighting segment and like we have the ETL-like product. So that like ETL is a fairly mature space. And like with ton of companies, and then there is the reverse ETL, right? So we kind of like have all the pieces as a part of Rudderstack, just the integration piece. And then now we are kind of working on some of these data science notebooks and like and so on. So like, is that too much of a surface area in terms of like competing? But the way I think about it is like, I mean, ignore the competition, right? Like we kind of like take uh, like look from a customer's perspective, right? Our every customer of ours, they start with collecting data. So their use case is like, I want to collect customer data. I, I just bought a data warehouse. I'm big enough that I, I need to start collecting customer data, right? So, and like do stuff with that. So you start with collecting data. And then the first step is like doing analytics on top of that data. The second step is like doing ML on top of that data. And then th finally, you want to activate all of that data, like for real-time personalization, non-real-time use cases. Like we're kind of coming up with this like data stack journey, right? So from the basic stack to the most complex stack, right? Purely from the lens of customer data, right? We are not trying to solve general ETL or general reverse ETL. I think there are use cases beyond customer data. We are saying that like every customer of ours has to take this journey through customer data stack and we will enable you to take all the journey. Right? I mean, there are pieces we'll build which are missing. And of course, like there are we are not building a data warehouse. Like, you should use Snowflake. We are not building like another Jupyter notebook infrastructure. Right? There are enough things there, but there are pieces where we can where we should plug in. You should not have to buy another smaller vendor to, to kind of achieve that. So integration makes a lot of sense. Like the data pipelining and the user feature store that I was talking about, that makes a lot of sense. So those are the things we are kind of going and working on. So the moment you like stop looking from a competition point of view, but look from a customer's perspective, I think like the roadmap kind of becomes clear. And one of the inter interesting things about Rudderstack is you have so many customers, I think over 13,000 now, but ranging from companies like Stripe to like Crate and Barrel. So a lot of just differences in sophistication around customers. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that and just manage understanding what to build, given that you have kind of like a just such a an awesome but like wide range of, of customers? Or are there certain characteristics at every company or customer rudder stack that you've observed and that's what made them a good fit for us? Yeah, I think it goes back to this previous point I made around like their customers and data stack, right? Or customer data stack. So every company starts with a simple use case. I want to collect data from my website or mobile app and send it to different destinations. That's what I care about. Send it to Amplitude, send it to like Braze and I'm done, right? That's like stack zero. Then stack one is like, I now have a data team, right? I have a data analyst. I want to get that data into a data warehouse and I want to build out dashboards. Like that's stack one. Now you have like, not just a data analyst, but you have a data scientist who is now looking to build interesting models on top of that data. And I want to activate that data, like that's stack two. And finally, you want to build out real time use cases. So pretty much like every customer has to take this journey. And we have customers, like most of our customers are in stack zero. And then some advanced customers are in like 
the most advanced stack doing real-time personalization on top of data stack, right? So I think, like, although we have like a wide variety of customers, all of them can be mapped into one of these four stages. I think that's kind of makes it less confusing. It's not like just a combination of tools, right? It's kind of a set of ways you should be building out stack. And these are the things of data stack you will be using uh, as you build it out. Since you're talking maybe just about open source this and this sort of focus not just on the marketing side and developer and data side, is developers or data scientists actually part of the championing process internally for your customers? Like, do they get involved evaluating your CDP with with you together? Or how much weight do they have when it comes to actually your sales sort of like enabling process here? Because yeah. it's, it's very unclear because you can bring a lot of value, but may not be all, all obvious to everybody. So I'm just curious how the process goes. Interestingly, it's like, because of our positioning and so on, like it's like almost people are self-selecting, right? I mean, like who the buyer is typically that data team. And the data team kind of varies. Like for larger organizations, there's a separate data team. For smaller companies, it kind of falls under engineering. But they're all like trying to look for a solution to collect customer data to like kind of build out these use cases, as I said, right? From like the simplest to the more advanced, right? So that's pretty much it. So I, I think like and because of like warehouses exploding and all the stuff, like this team is getting powerful. Like they are making warehouse decisions. So they are buying the warehouse. They are looking for tools to get data into the warehouse. They are looking for building these applications on top, right? So in fact, I think like when the buyer persona is marketing, that's where things are confusing because like just too many tools there, like for all the way from like there are marketing automation systems. Like why do you even need a CDP if you have Braze or something like that? So like in this ecosystem, I, I think the, the, the choice is almost between like Rudderstack or DYI. And so on. So I think like that's where hopefully we are at. And I'm sure there are so many learnings about just going after a different persona with a product that's typically been sold to someone else. Are there any key learnings that you had early on around like engaging the data persona in this process or just like thinking about building this as a slight variation on an existing category that just looking back, you you just have some like reflections or learnings on? Yeah. I mean in general, I think product marketing is something we, we have to do a better job of, right? I mean, we haven't really, all the things that I'm talking about, it's not very clearly articulated in the website, in our content. Like, we're kind of trying to get there. So, I wish I had a better answer to that, but I think, like, there's a ton of work for us to do. If I had to think about, like, if there's any key learning I had selling to data, I think, like, when we started Rudderstack, we had, this is what we wanted to build. And right? I mean, I was kind of trying to do the exact same thing. I was that persona in my previous company. I was kind of building out these use cases. So, like we are almost like from day one, like try to do what we are doing right now. So I don't think we have kind of had very critical learning. Like this is bad. This is not the biggest learning for me was like initially I thought like open source is the only way. Like that is the only way to monetize this product. Like everyone will be open source. That did not pan out like as much. Maybe part of it was execution, but like then cloud took off, which which actually makes it easy for us to monetize. So maybe that was the only learning. And so maybe... Flip it around. The other way to ask this question is, what would you do differently if you just start Rudderstack again since today? Because you started, I think, around like 18 or 19, right? 19. Um, 19. Yeah, yeah. As an early open source product. And you definitely went through a lot right, for the last three, four years. If you go back three, four years ago and start it again, do it do anything differently at all? I mean, it has been two and a half years. Like, surprisingly, it hasn't been that long in terms of like our journey. I think uh, that's a good question. I'll probably, I mean, I I believe like we we have been incredibly lucky to like get on Hacker News and like get exposed to that. So I think like from execution perspective, like we have done things really well. 
one thing I would have done more is like to invest in developer relation a lot sooner. I mean, we kind of started looking for that role a lot later. Once we are like 40 engineers, that's when we thought, okay, let's invest in that. And we are still struggling to find the right person. So we should have probably invested in that, like from almost day zero, right? To, to try to build the community and, and use cases. Like nothing changed on our thought process. We knew that this is the company we wanted to build. But like I think building the community, we should have been a lot more proactive. And any words of advice to other open source potential founders or founders that are just earlier in their journey than you are, like things that you kind of wish someone who is further along told you when you were just starting out? One thing I would say is like, firstly, really think about like why open source is important for you, right? Because it does add a lot of complexity in your business model. Like you're, you'll always be fighting a sales team and you'll always be adding confusion to your business if you have an open source and a cloud offering and so on, right? So open code is dead, right? Most people know that. Like the only way to monetize is cloud. So you have an open cloud model and then you have an open source which really is not monetizing. So it does add complexity. So you have to have a very, very strong reason. I mean, I've seen companies which are like, building tools for the marketing persona like they are the most biggest buyer but then they're also open source like does it really help like market does marketing persona really care if, if your product is open source like if developers are not caring i'm sure like marketing doesn't care at all like so because like when when we as engineers are building something we kind of think it has to be open source but we all not always thinking from bias perspective if that person is not an engineer maybe open source doesn't matter awesome well thank you so much for doing this with us i think the audience is really going to enjoy it thanks for having me 